This episode is brought to you by Audible. Please visit audiblepodcast.com slash best for your free audiobook download. Now, welcome to the Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Countdown with Keith Olbermann, The Young Turks, Bill Maher, The Onion Radio News, Slate Magazine, and The Daily Show. Stephen Colbert spun himself off The Daily Show. I had the privilege to be among the early guests on his new program. He asked me what I thought, and I answered, you know, you might be too subtle. Some Republicans don't realize you're savaging them. He laughed and said he doubted that. Our third story, doubt it no more. Stephen greets his guests backstage by saying, you know how this works, right? I play an idiot. Three and a half years later, it turns out that still not everybody knows how it works. The study is called The Irony of Satire, Political Ideology and the Motivation to See What You Want to See in the Colbert Rapport. 332 conservative, liberal, and independent students at The Ohio State University were shown a clip from the Colbert Rapport in which Colbert was doing his usual shtick. The students were then asked, do you think he's funny? Do you think he's conservative? Do you think he's Republican? Do you think he dislikes liberalism? It turns out all the students were laughing, but for different reasons. The conservatives did not understand that Colbert is not actually one of them. The lead author of the story joins us shortly. First, Colbert reports you decide. But guys like us, we don't we don't pay attention to the polls. We know that that polls are just a collection of statistics that reflect what people are thinking in reality. <laughs> and reality has a well-known liberal bias. <laughs> Tonight, it's Obama's first day and the economy's still in the toilet. Some change. Now, folks, we all know textbooks have a liberal bias. Why else would they insist we read from left to right? That's right, folks. There's a new threat to marriage. And it won't be solved by clearing out your web browser. Needless to say, the president caught a lot of heat for this incident. Jim? President Obama and Venezuelan President Hugo Chavez shaking hands. Can you believe it? One incident, okay, what's the other hand doing? Probing question, Bill. Nation, I cannot overstate what a fantastic show Glenn Beck is doing over at Fox News. And if I may speak to Glenn directly for a moment, dude, you are rocking it. So Dick Cheney had a roving band of executioners who traveled the world taking orders from their dark overlords. <laughs> That's like finding out that Liberace was gay. <laughs> I'm not paying my taxes this year's folks. It is taxation without representation. I mean, technically I'm represented. <laughs> but not by, not by the guy I voted for. That violates my constitutional right to always win. This is a fantastic book. It's called Culture Warrior by Bill O'Reilly. And um, by the way, you can get great you can get great deals at Barnes and Noble. Heather Lamar is the lead author of the Colbert Report study. She is an assistant professor at the University of Minnesota School of Journalism and a political entertainment scholar at the Ohio State University, and she joins us tonight from Columbus. Ms. Lamar, welcome. Thank you. What clip did you show these students and what did you find? We actually showed them the clip of Amy Goodman from Democracy Now. Let me say that again. Amy Goodman from Democracy Now. She came on, and when it was her and Stephen Colbert, and they were debating the issue of embedding journalists for the Iraq War. 
And what we found generally was what you already mentioned, and that was the more conservative someone was, the more likely they were to say that Stephen Colbert was using satire, and clearly they thought he was funny, but they thought maybe he had some sort of hidden underlying tone there that was really genuine and sincere. And the other end of the spectrum, the more liberal someone was, the more they said, oh, this is just satire. He doesn't mean what he's saying. If anything, he might mean the exact opposite. Um, how did you get any indication of what what was the going on in the heads of the people who would misread what is obviously Colbert's intention? He's never made a secret of this. He certainly didn't make a secret of it when he was on the Daily Show, and he doesn't make it a secret to to the, to the guests or the audience what his perspective is and what he's trying to do. How, how do people convince themselves that that the whole explanation, the whole structure, is some sort of big uh, gag on the left? Well, actually, there's this phenomenon called biased message processing, where people from all backgrounds are able to take ambiguous information. And satire is just, by definition, ambiguous information. And they're able to take that information and bias it into a way that most supports or best benefits them personally. When you think about that politically, it makes someone able to say, okay, yes, obviously he's making a joke, he's parroting a conservative pundit, however, he is still the conservative agenda, and he is able to use humor to get discussions out there that maybe are difficult to uh, talk about in more serious terms. And that's how people are able to do that. They just basically self-reinforce that their belief system is the correct one. Yeah, I don't know. If you, if you see a 30% off sticker over Bill O'Reilly's face on Bill O'Reilly's book, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if people are convincing themselves and doing a very good job of it. But at what, to what degree, what degree was this? Did, did you get a sample of people who'd never seen Colbert before, and did, did it match up with the people? Who, who knew him? Yes, actually what we did is we took a general sample and this ranged from people who had never seen Colbert before or maybe had heard of him but didn't watch the show all the way up to regular viewers and regular fans. And then we controlled for that statistically in our analysis actually. So our findings are regardless of whether they were a fan or had never heard from him before. The more conservative hmm. one was, the more they were likely to say that they felt that he was probably personally conservative and really meant what he was saying underneath it all. In your study, you have a link uh, to the findings of, of similar results in uh, mm -hmm. a survey done on the Norman Lear sitcom of the 70s, All in the Family. What's the connection between the, the two research studies? Well, when Norman Lear put All in the Family on the air, he thought it was going to be a great way to expose bigotry and prejudice. And he assumed and expected, as did many people, that if he created this sort of curmudgeon character, Archie Bunker, people would see how ridiculous that line of thinking was. And a couple of media scholars, Vidmar and Rokich, tested that assumption. What they found was very similar to our findings, and that was simply that people who had a worldview similar to Archie Bunker, who maybe themselves were slightly prejudiced in certain ways, they didn't find it to be a ridiculous way of thinking. Instead, they thought Archie Bunker was charming and old-fashioned. And much in the same way, we found that people who were very conservative really like Stephen Colbert, and they find him to be a credible source for political information. And you know, in an upcoming study, we'll even be looking at if it affects their political attitudes. Well, well, there it is, one of the ancient truths. Most people see what they want to see. Uh, underscored again by Heather Lamar, political entertainment scholar at Ohio State University and lead author of this Colbert Report study. It's fascinating. Great. Thanks for your time. Have a good weekend. Thank you.
they address JR's point on uh, people who cannot possibly believe what they're saying. We got a perfect clip for you guys. It's O'Reilly's clip number two. Uh, he is going to go on a rant uh, with his guests about how hateful the left is. You know how we tell you sometimes Republicans do projection? What they feel, they say, oh, the left is doing or the liberals are doing or the Democrats are doing. This is the perfect example of it. Can you believe he's saying this stuff about what the left does and totally forgetting what he does? Watch this. Off with personal attacks. You hear them all the time on talk radio. But on TV, conservative pundits usually avoid that kind of invective. Yeah. Not always, but usually. However, the left-wing bomb throwers seem to be stepping up the personal stuff. Writing on the Huffington Post, actor Sean Penn calls Hugo Chavez a warm, friendly man who risks his life for his country in ways Dick Cheney could never imagine. Penn goes on, the Cheneys down to the O'Reillys, the Hannity's and Limbaugh's effectively hate the principles upon which we were founded. They are among the greatest cowards in all of American history. Unquote Sean Penn. What a guy. Here's more. This is about hating a black man in the White House. This is racism straight up. That is nothing but a bunch of tea-banging rednecks. Coincidentally, Al Gore has now produced a new documentary all about Ann Coulter. I believe it's called An Inconvenient Bitch. Rush Limbaugh is a terrorist. You heard it here, ladies and gentlemen. Libby and Charles are, are going to be executed. What? I don't know how I feel about it, because I'm, I'm basically against the death penalty. Sarah Palin says that we all know that the woman is an airhead, so let's not even go there. I'd like to tip off law enforcement to an even larger child-abusing religious cult. And this guy not only operates outside the bounds of the law, but he used to be a Nazi and he wears funny hats. That's the point. This is now the Culture Warriors, Gretchen Carlson, co-anchor of Fox and Friends in the morning, and Margaret Hoover, a Fox News analyst. All right, Hoover. Why are these people doing it? It's a lot of these people are, are degenerates from the 1960s. Like they didn't get the memo that oh. the, 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 the revolution is over, right? There's nothing to fight about anymore. They demonize people who they disagree with, and oftentimes you find them going after you personally when they can't make the argument with logic. When logic falters, they demonize the people they disagree with. I think it's a whole East Coast West Coast thing. They think that they're above everyone else, or they forget that millions of the American population lives somewhere in the middle, and they maybe just don't agree with them all the time. But it's, a, it's okay. Look, there's a difference between uh, being an elitist. Carl Rove at the top of the broadcast said that was Salzburger. He's an elitist, left-winger, knows better. And being downright nasty mean. Nasty mean. You know why they do that? <laughs> because they can. Because the people running those organizations agree with them. That's why they can do Fox. it. Gretchen's right. What you have here, you've got this in television. Television, in many ways, becomes an echo chamber for people on the left. They, they're speaking to each other because all the people that they're with and their guests and their hosts and their network producers agree with them. And when you're around Fox. people that are all like-minded, you don't realize that you're not clicking with the I think it says something about the caliber of person. I really do. I do, too. Okay. So do I. Wait, and you've got a lot of angry people. There's a lot, sometimes yeah, but I'm angry, too. But I mean, yeah, I, I try mean, to stay away from that. Stuff. Sometimes I'll make a mistake, and of course we call people pinheads. Oh, who pinheads? <laughs> he call me a pinhead. Um, but we try to stay away from that right. here. And, and the other Fox News uh, conservative commentators, I think, make an effort to as well. <laughs> Do they know they're joking? I mean, the whole thing was like you take out left and you put in right in Fox News Channel, and they describe themselves perfectly. And then they call them degenerates. Think David Letterman, Al Franken, who's the new senator from Minnesota. She's like, oh, it must be an East Coast, West Coast thing. I don't think Minnesota is on the East Coast or West Coast, if I've checked that right. And they say, oh, they're going to demonize the other side. Gee, who does that? I can't quite think of it.
Could it be the cowards at Fox News? Please. Loved and lost, and some may say, when usually it's nothing, surely you're happy it should be this way. I say no, I'm gonna kill my dog. May the line sag, the line sag heavy and deep tonight. I've come to wish you an unhappy birthday. I've come to wish you an unhappy birthday. Cause you're evil and you lie. And if you should die, I may feel slightly sad, but I won't cry. Let me, uh, let me present to you an alternative universe because you did run for elective office twice, for Congress in 1960 and for the Senate in, out here in California in 1982 against Jerry Brown. Now, I, I cannot imagine you on the inside of the system. This is what's so fascinating to me that you actually tried to get on the inside to be part of the establishment. What would your life have been if you got elected to one of these offices? Now, wait a minute. I'm not Al Franken. <laughs> <laughs> I was never that serious about it. Oh, come on. You ran. You wanted I ran, to win. I ran. And what, if you'd been, what if you'd been elected in 1982? You are now Senator Gore Vidal mm -hmm. from California. You get reelected in 1988 and again in 1992. Four, and in 2000, you run for president and win. And then 9-11 happens. How's the world different? It's hard to think. 9-11. Well, we still don't know what happened. And I don't think we ever will know. We had a secretive government. Uh, we know that they had, the Bush people had all sorts of information that we were going to have unfriendly visitors from the sky. And nobody acted on it. The president didn't read that day. He gets a daily briefing from the CIA. He but that's read just it. because he couldn't read. <laughs> well, I don't, I did don't... you ever see those fingers? I mean, he, he could do Braille. You could tell that. <laughs> what, what do you think of the conservatives today, the Sarah Palins? I mean, I know you had your epic feuds with people like William F. Buckley, but you have to admit, they were a damn sight smarter than the Sarah Palins and the John Bain. Well, everybody is. <laughs> <laughs> True, but I mean, there was a time when you may not have agreed with the conservatives, with the Republican Party, but there wasn't this anti-intellectual, know-nothing streak that went through their midst that they're proud of. Well, it's because they weren't conservatives. I think of myself as a conservative. Admittedly, I can read the New York Times without moving my lips, which is a sign of communism. I, I have to live with that. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think of Sarah Palin? I don't think about her at all. Uh, and I get no impression that she's thinking either. What do you think about Barack Obama? Oh, I like him. You do like him. 
I pity him, my God, to have this right. job with the whole world falling in on your head. I, don't, I feel sorry for him. But I think if anybody, you see, it's fascinating because the Republicans, the only thing they have perfected since 1936, <laughs> when they were totally defeated by Governor Alfred M. Landon of Kansas, uh, and Roosevelt just knocked them off every time. Well, they became totally irrelevant then. They are a minority party, except they're not even a party. They're a mindset. They don't like this group, and they don't like that group, and it could be sex, it could be race, it could be religion. They're just filled with dislike and discomfort. They haven't any chance of getting anywhere unless they could catch another movie star, as they did with Reagan, or perhaps Eisenhower. But since no Republican, the Republicans nowadays do not, if I go by the Bush administration, they don't go to war. So you'll never get a general out of that crew. If you got one, you might get a president. There ain't no reason things are this way. It's how they always been and they intend to stay. I can't explain why we live this way. We do it every day. Preachers on the podium speaking of saints, prophets on the sidewalk begging for change, old ladies laughing from the fire escape, cursing my name. I got a basket full of lemons and they all taste the same, a window in a pigeon with a broken wing. You can spend your whole life working for something just to have it taken away. People walk around pushing back their debts. Wearing paychecks like necklaces and bracelets Talking about nothing, not thinking about death Every little heartbeat, every little breath People walk a tightrope on a razor's edge Carrying their hurt and hatred A stunned supporter finally leaves the McCain victory party It's the Onion Radio News, this is Doyle Redland reporting Staunch Republican George Hastings shook his head in disbelief one last time before leaving the McCain election party this morning, several months after it ended. Hastings spent the entire winter unable to fully comprehend McCain's electoral loss while sustaining himself on a diet of increasingly stale pastries. Today, he had this to say. It just doesn't make sense. We're a right-leaning country. Hastings' family is currently looking for a way to break the news about President Obama's trillion-dollar stimulus bill without killing him outright. Doyle Redlin for The Onion Radio News. Once again, I find myself with my friends. Dance till the night away, it's like the party never ends. Then again, we don't want it to stop, cause tonight's the night. It goes sweatbox, laser beam, flashing lights. Wild cards, men from Mars, dressed in stars and stripes. Electric, electric, ladies of the evening. Mashing to the music, I could do anything. Freaky dicky stars, speckles, and pink butterflies. And life is nice, so nice. I walk into a club and I found paradise. I'm seeing stars, I can't believe my eyes. I'm seeing stars. Oh my, starry eyes, surprise. Sundown to sunrise, dance all night. We gonna dance all night, dance all night to this DJ. Sugar, dance all night to this DJ. Sugar, dance all night to this DJ. Dance all night to this DJ. I love a dance all night to this DJ. 
in the current Republican playbook, there are only so many maneuvers you can turn to, especially with facts being off limits. In responding to swine flu, however, the Republican Party's chosen talking heads have opted for an oldie but a goodie. Our third story tonight, making scapegoats out of Mexicans. Swine flu has killed more than 150 people in Mexico, the country considered ground zero of this outbreak. At least 68 cases have been reported in the U.S. as of today, with a handful hospitalized and no fatalities. Republican Congresswoman Michelle Bachman said she found it, quote, interesting that the last swine flu outbreak was in 1976 under another Democratic president, Jimmy Carter, one who took office in 1977. But Republican commentators, from the radio clowns to the respected journalists at Fixed News, have resurrected the shrewd political tactic that served them so well last year of using our loose border controls with Mexico to terrify Americans. Michelle Malkin writes, I've blogged for years about the spread of contagious diseases from around the world into the U.S. as a result of uncontrolled immigration. We've heard for years from reckless open border ideologues who continue to insist there's nothing to worry about, and we've heard for years that calling any attention to the dangers of allowing untold numbers of people to pass across our borders and through our other ports of entry without proper medical screening as required of every legal visitor immigrant to this country is racist. Well, yes, you are a racist. Exactly how does that apply, though, to the people who the Centers for Disease Control confirmed actually carried the swine flu from Mexico to the U.S.? A group of Catholic school students from New York City who spent spring break in Cancun. Uncontrolled Catholic immigration? Open borders for private school kids are reckless? Anyway, unswayed by the facts, the Republican echo chamber tried to stir the American melting pot with its classic recipe of hate and fear. That this line, though, was very ironic this morning in one of the articles that I read about surveillance at the Mexican border. You thought that we had an immigration problem. Well, now they might actually want to prevent the six people, sick people from crossing over the border. Chaos in Mexico, from earthquakes to swine flu, will it mean more illegals heading for the U.S.? Does anybody wish maybe we could control the border just a little bit at this point? And everybody's emailing going, the, the illegals are bringing it across the border. Relax. Tonight, swine flu spreads from Mexico to the United States. Is this the latest border crisis? The U.S. is not currently testing travelers from uh, Mexico, but customs officials are wearing protective clothing. Illegal aliens are carriers of the new strain of human swine avian flu from Mexico. Is this a terrorist attack? Some, though, say the solution is to close the border. Now, talk that we should even close the border? If this is so important, why haven't we closed the border? There's the bioterrorism angle. What better way to sneak a virus in this country than to give it to Mexicans? Wouldn't it be great if we had a secure border? Wouldn't it be great if we gave sanity hearings for people who went on TV? Can we tie some of the violence, like what happened in Pittsburgh, 
uh, to some of the rantings and ravings of the right. Well, you're right. I mean, it is a little touchy subject to say, uh, you know, X caused Y. And, you know, in the column I did, I didn't do that. I mean, Keith Olbermann this week was saying, you know, Glenn Beck is encouraging Americans to shoot other Americans. That's one That's one take on it. I didn't do that, but I did say, uh, I point out, this is just, you know, what Fox News is doing with sort of its doomsday militia rhetoric is, A, unprecedented for American television, and be, you know, very dangerous. And the, and the Pittsburgh story, as it unfolded, uh, that was someone who spent a lot of time on sort of on the radical right uh, movement, media movement, stormfront, uh, sort of white supremacist sites online, uh, apparently as a ben, uh, Glenn Beck fan. And his his buddy told the press that, you know, he was afraid, the you know, Obama was going to come take his guns away. So, you know, he put on his bulletproof vest and got his AK-47 and, and basically ambushed the cops when they came to his apartment. Uh, that's pretty, you know, that's, and the fact that you know, apparently a couple of weeks before he was sort of linking to Glenn Beck videos and other sort of fringe folks, that's about as clear as we're going to get. I mean, if, Fox, if people at Fox aren't concerned about that, then obviously they're not going to be concerned about anything. You know, look, as a usual, uh, progressives are supposed to be very, very tender and ginger about this, about right. these accusations, whereas, of course, uh, the right wing can go on there, and as Beck did the other day, and say uh, Obama and the Democrats are bloodsuckers, they should drive a th stake through their heart. That's right. And that we, that's fine, apparently, that you can say that all you want. He, but then if, he's a populist, if he says Right, but if we say, hey, wait a minute, that sounds a little dangerous, oh, we're the crazy ones. Uh, isn't <laughs> and, what and Beck is doing, hey, Eric, isn't what Beck is doing, yeah. basically going into an insane asylum, yeah. okay, Cause, which is a lot of the Fox viewers, and yelling at all of them, they're coming for you, they're coming, everybody panic, right? And I don't know if he, it's because he giggles when, he, when he's done saying it or he starts crying when he says it, that people think, oh, it's just an act or something, or, you know, he, he, he says, I'm just an entertainer, and, and apparently he says all this stuff, and, and really none of it really matters, but... Well, here's 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 the hypocrisy. Last year he had this when he was on CNN. He did this uh, sort of rant about video games and how violent they were, and how they were training our kids to be killers, and how television made us more violent, and how pop culture made us more violent. So in 2008, all that stuff had an impact on society, had a cause and effect. In 2009, after someone uh, kills cops and and you know uh, and talks about uh, sort of regurgitate. Uh, Glenn Beck's rhetoric. In 2009, television has no influence whatsoever. It's all just going into the ether. Uh, you can, obviously, you can't have it both ways. And what was amazing is after Pittsburgh, Beck went on his radio show and he says, Obama will take your gun away one way or another. You know, so he's just sort of doubling down on this stuff. And uh, it's just incredibly irresponsible. And again, it's, it's really, if you go back to the early 90s, you remember sort of the Clinton Chronicles, this sort of radical fringe movement on the militia right about how Clinton was, you know, uh, he, he, you name it. I mean, he was killing people. He was running drugs. Every conceivable, you know, sort of conspiracy theory. And, you know, that was being passed around by facts and by, you know, listservs in the very early days of the Internet. Fox now is just taking all that exact same rhetoric and just dumping it right in the mainstream. Well, look, I know that they did that back in the day before they had Fox because I used to um, get, uh, go on a program uh, uh, on a station that uh, Roger Ailes ran before he ran Fox News. Yeah. 
and it was a little rinky-dink station in Washington. It was nationwide as a cable station, but they ran out of Washington. But uh, literally every other ad on that station, obviously that Ailes authorized, was uh, was Vince Foster murdered by the Clintons. That's right. And, and, and it, it's sort of interesting to think now, what if Fox had been on in 92, 93? What, what, it, what would it... What if Fox, what if Glenn Beck was on the air, you know, when Waco happened? And clearly they would have had militia people on the air. Clearly they would have been talking about Vince Foster's murder. Uh, it's really just amazing. You know, I've been going back and doing research. I mean, at that time, Rush Limbaugh had a TV show with Roger Ailes in syndication. He never, I mean, he was hateful and, you know, America held hostage, you know, day 228 of the Clinton presidency. I mean, he was doing all that loony stuff. He didn't do this fascism stuff. He didn't do this Marxist stuff. He didn't do they're coming for your gun stuff. This is unprecedented in American television. You know, I'm telling you, you should go back and look at that station that Roger Ailes yeah. used to run and look at the stuff that they did on there and look at the commercials, too. Yeah. Okay, that's an interesting uh, fodder. But before we go any further, Eric, uh, and we're talking to Eric Bold for Media Matters, I want to give people an example of what we're talking about. Uh, clip number six here, guys. Uh, is Glenn Beck himself? All right. Now we got other uh, conservative talk show hosts. We got a short one from someone else that's a really good example. Of course, G. Gordon Liddy is absolutely out of his mind, but he's the guy who originally said to take headshots at that's federal right. agents. But let's listen to uh, Beck here first. The very next day, in Pittsburgh, another nut job takes his guns, his weapons, and he just starts shooting police officers. Not too long after, before they found out that it was over an argument with his mother because a dog peed in his house, before they found out about the dog peeing story, the press, the blogs, everybody immediately went to, this guy's a conservative with guns that says Obama's coming. They immediately started jumping on the bandwagon that it was... This guy was a conservative, and his outrage, the reason why he was shooting, was because of me. But I think one of the other aspects here is, under the current administration with a Democrat-controlled Congress, knowing what Obama's positions were uh, as a senator and also as an Illinois senator, is it an irrational fear of any gun owner at this point no. to think that gun that gun laws are going to be changed? And the no. answer is no. It's not no, irrational. It's irrational fear. They it's have said it. Fear. Yeah. They they have said it. Why can't we take people at their word? They have said it. Right. Okay. Look, right. if you know, if the president wanted to calm people down, um, for but there's no reason to in the first place because what we're talking about is a crazy man on Saturday. But if he right. wanted to calm anybody who had any fears, he would have said, this is such a tragedy. And let me reassure, the Second Amendment is the Second Amendment. And I will not infringe on those rights in any way, shape, or form. But he won't say that because he can't say that. Because he will, slowly but surely, take away your gun or take away your ability to shoot a gun, carry a gun. Uh, he will make them more expensive. He'll tax them out of existence. He will, because he has said he would, he will tax your gun or take your gun away one way or another. Uh, so 
right after saying, I don't stoke anything uh, or concerns about, uh, you know, taking away your guns, on the same exact show, he does the same exact thing. He answers the charge, a charge of fear-mongering by doubling down with the fear-mongering. It's, it's just, it's, it's priceless. I mean, that was on his radio show. And, that, and that's just Glenn Beck being an idiot, because at the beginning he's saying, oh, well, the reason this guy shot, his, shot these cops was he got in his argument uh, with his mother because his dog peed. And, and everyone jumped to the conclusion that he was a conservative. A, everyone knew about this. The, the reason the cops came is there was a domestic disturbance call because he got in his father, a fight with his mother, which he'd done chronically, according to the neighbors. That was the premise. That was sort of the ambush. The reason why he then shot the cops had nothing to do with his dog, as Beck wants us to claim. It's because, as his friend told every reporter in Pittsburgh, he was afraid Obama was going to come take his guns. So, I mean, that's just Beck being, you know, Beck and, and being clueless and misleading his, Eric, his, let, his readers, his listeners. Let me ask you something. If uh, during the Bush years, uh, liberal talk show hosts yeah. had said, you know what, Bush is coming for you, make sure you're armed, right. okay, and he's going to try to take away your rights, so we have to have an armed revolt, like as Michelle Bachman said, right? <laughs> And if the government agents uh, come in, let's say a talk show, it's like, all right, let's pick, uh, this is a funny example. Let's say Rachel Maddow said, hey, you know what, uh, if the government agents come for you, take headshots. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Well, Can you imagine? Right, or, or, or go back to, say, 2002. What, what if, uh, uh, A, remember that MSNBC fired Phil Donahue in 2003, this professorial, uh, very kind, gentle host, because he was too liberal. But imagine if somewhere around that time there was a liberal host on cable who night after night made dark insinuations that Bush was behind 9-11. And then the New York Times put him on the front page and called him a populist. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, it, it's crazy what Fox is doing, and it's crazy that the press uh, refuses to acknowledge what Fox is doing. All right, I want to get to what we're going to do about it in a second, but I want to do one more short clip here. It's Lars Larson. In case, you know, people are unclear as to what they mean by, hey, they're coming for you, they're going to take away your guns, and what kind of response you should have. And this is from Media Matters. Uh, you can check it out on MediaMatters.org, too. So, but let's listen to Lars Larson first, a conservative talk show. We're going to end up with justices who think they can break free of the constraints of the Constitution, perhaps on the Second Amendment, one of my favorites. Phil writes in, Lars, I've always said if the gun grabbers come to my front door and demand my guns due to some unconstitutional law being passed by the loony lefties in Washington, D.C., I'll have no choice but to hand them over. However, they will receive all of my ammunition first, all of it, just as fast as I can possibly give it to them. Yeah, but it's hard to be confused by what he's saying. <laughs> Seems fairly clear that he's saying that if the government comes, uh, unload all of your bullets into them. And then the guy in Pittsburgh, when the government came, cops came, unloaded all his bullets into them. Now, I don't make it a secret that I love Audible.com, but even I didn't know how much I loved it until I logged into my account just the other day and found out that my first download was made in May 2005, so just over four years ago. And since then, I've downloaded 75 titles. I couldn't believe it. If you had asked me to estimate how many things I'd gotten from Audible, I would have said 25. I'm not kidding. So obviously this place is something I ended up liking even more than I realized I did. They've got 60,000 titles in their library, audiobooks, premium podcasts, newspaper subscriptions, all in audio format ready to be downloaded. So what you should do is go to audiblepodcast.com slash best. You got to go to that special URL because that's how they know I sent you and get your free audiobook download and get your addiction started.
Again, that's audiblepodcast.com slash best. Today's story is called Pizza Party. Mitt Romney, Jeb Bush, and Eric Cantor experiment with bottom-up republicanism. And it's written by Christopher Beam. It's Saturday morning at a pizzeria in Arlington, Virginia, and the Republican Party may have just discovered the key to its comeback. Free pizza for everybody all day, jokes Mitt Romney, perched on a stool next to House Minority Whip Eric Cantor and former Governor Jeb Bush. Just kidding, Romney says. This is not a Democrat establishment. The suggestion fits the event's theme, let no idea go untried. Drumming up new solutions is the mission of the National Council for a New America, a coalition of Republican leaders announced last week and led by Cantor. In the coming months, top leaders will travel around the country, soliciting ideas from average Americans and figuring out how to, in so many words, unscrew the GOP. Our party has taken its licks over the last couple of cycles, says Cantor, but that's why we're here. For the kickoff event, a few dozen local Republicans, including names like Grover Norquist, packed into Pytanza, a small restaurant in a suburban strip mall, to see Romney, Cantor, and Bush discuss the GOP's future. The conversation steered clear of hot-button issues like gay marriage and immigration, focusing instead on the economy, health care, and education. Questions tended toward the softball. How would Republicans help small businesses? Lower taxes, free up capital. How does the Employee Free Choice Act affect business? It's the biggest misnomer I've seen, said Cantor. How do we fight back against the Obama administration's high taxes and overreach? Educate voters. Ideas? Absolutely. New? Meh. The conversation rarely moved into specifics. Cantor wants more dialoguing. One volunteer, Brian Summers, gave a pep talk, arguing that we need to give America something to say yes to. Romney painted the differences between Republicans and Democrats in Revolutionary-era terms. We are the party of the revolutionaries. They are the party of the monarchists. The most original ideas came from perhaps the most establishment person in the room, Jeb Bush. When someone asked about how to make college affordable, Bush proposed incentivizing tuition by charging different amounts for different degrees. We need nurses, scientists, engineers, qualified teachers. If the government is going to subsidize at the Fed level, there needs to be strategic nature to it, he said. Bush also did the best job at framing classic policy problems in terms conservatives like for example, he said, the United States lags behind other countries in academics. If American students reach the same level as Finns and Koreans, we'd increase GNP by one and a half to two trillion dollars a year. If we close the achievement gap within the United States, we'd save four hundred billion dollars. In other words, improve education not for squishy social reasons, but for hard-boiled economic ones. Bush also played the political wise man, the guy who, even at a spry 56, has been around forever and seen everything. His wisdom? This won't last forever. I've seen conservatives move up and conservatives move down, he said. Liberals move up and liberals move down. He gave credit where credit is due. The Democrats have something, he said. I don't like it, but they have it.
Obama's remarkable rise was a tribute to our country, in which Republicans should take solace. That will happen to us, too. The question hovering over the proceedings, as over the party in general, was, should Republicans compromise or stand strong, moderate their views, or embrace conservatism? The answer coming out of this group seemed to be, yes. On the one hand, said Cantor, we should be an inclusive party. On the other, the essence of being a Republican is a belief in free markets, a belief in individual responsibility, faith in the individual, faith in God. Exactly how the party evolves into the 21st century, yet stays true to its roots, remains unclear. No one was willing to say that the GOP should start running more moderate candidates. Nor would anyone suggest, as Senator Lindsey Graham did, that Republicans are hurt by the tax-cutting litmus tests of organizations like the Club for Growth and Americans for Tax Reform, especially not with Norquist in the audience. Everyone emphasized that this is just the beginning. It's just getting started, said Romney, when I asked him which new idea he liked most. I wouldn't possibly select one idea. They'll save the tough questions for another pizzeria. You know, some people, they just won't understand, they just won't understand what they say. They give all your message, but I don't understand, I just won't understand. Partisanship in Washington. What you need first is tripartisanship because in our third story tonight, Republicans unable to agree with themselves over minor things like the president's prerogatives for naming Supreme Court justices. Literally, one Republican moving from malleability to code words for a nomination knife fight. With Justice David Souter's retirement from the bench, the president getting an earlier than expected opportunity to choose a new justice. On Friday, Republican Senator Orrin Hatch, who sits on the Judiciary Committee through which the nominees must pass, explained that the Republican role is not to apply a political litmus test to Mr. Obama's nominee. I do not expect him to appoint a conservative to the, to the court. As long as he appoints people who are really qualified and who will abide by the rule of judging, I think it's going to be pretty tough to vote against him. Unfortunately for Mr. Obama, he did not name his nominee on Friday night because by Sunday, Senator Hatch was instead warning Mr. Obama not to nominate anybody to, what's the word, human. He's saying that he wants to pick people who will take sides. He's also said that a judge has to be a person of empathy. What does that mean? Usually that's a code word for an activist judge. 
Unfortunately, there, an activist judge is a code word for pro-choice, which many judges are, like the majority that ruled on Roe v. Wade. Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell now also warning that Mr. Obama will have a fight on his hands over this empathetic activist pro-choice judge who's way too liberal despite not yet existing. McConnell also saying Obama can pick who he wants and also issuing another warning, this one against sympathy, which is usually a code word for sympathy. The president is free to nominate whomever he likes, but picking judges based upon his or her perceived sympathy for certain groups or individuals undermines the faith Americans have in our judicial system. And if a fictional judicial nominee, too sympathetic, empathetic, activist, pro-choice, and out of touch with mainstream America can trigger partisan bickering, no surprise that fictional fiction can, too. Former Bush advisor Karl Rove last night spinning the tale that Mr. Obama has created, quote, this myth of attempted bipartisanship, Rove admitting in the course of the same conversation that, quote, the atmosphere in Washington, D.C. is too poisonous and has been for the last 16 years, and then, without explaining how President Clinton might be to blame for that, denied that either he or his boss, President Bush, might be either. Joining us now, Margaret Carlson, political columnist for Bloomberg News and Washington Editor of the Week magazine. Margaret, good evening. Good evening, Keith. Well, we wondered last week how the Republicans would play the Supreme Court, uh, nice or lethal. Apparently, everybody who chose was wrong. It was nice, then lethal. What happened here? <laughs> Just in case uh, the president nominates somebody that they do approve of <laughs> or that is moderate, they've decided to have the fight now against a mythical candidate that they can, you know, imply all kinds of traits and be against because the worst thing that would happen is if they can't have a fight and presumably if they did get that that fictionally um, a uniformly loved candidate they could claim they caused Obama to choose him <laughs> yes. by pummeling him in advance on all the other possible yes. candidates. They can take credit for eliminating all empathetic and sympathetic possible judges from the list and getting an unempathetic and unsympathetic person. What is the point, though, of the Republicans conceding the Obama constitutional prerogative on nominees and then announcing they already have a problem with the nominee before the nominee exists? Well, they have to concede the constitutional prerogative. <laughs> I mean, they don't have much choice about that. But this may be, get, may be all they get. Their airtime could be limited if this is a smooth nomination and, and, and approval. So, you know, Senator Hatch gets to be on the talk shows and... I mean, as you know, and some people disapprove of this, um, you need a little friction for um, the Sunday talk shows. So suddenly, Friday, from Friday to Sunday, Senator Hatch discovers that he really didn't mean what he said on Friday, and in fact, he's going to be very upset about this nominee. Both uh, Senators Hatch and McConnell suggested that empathy and sympathy somehow conflict with impartiality, uh, and you can't take sides as a judge, even though that's your, basically your job is to choose right. two sides. Yeah. You, can't, yeah. you can't judge a case fairly if you feel at all for the people involved. Have, have they just explained an awful lot about the condition of the Republican Party? Well, and also if you're human, mm -hmm. as if the only possible nominee would be Bo the dog. <laughs> um, this, the, the sympathy and empathy have suddenly become very bad words, and the litmus test the fake limit, litmus test is if you have sympathy towards any group, 
you're automatically disqualified by the Republicans. Now, within the Republican Party, you cannot have any sympathy except towards their approved groups, which are, you know, the NRA and, um, you know, Sarah Palin people, Rush Limbaugh listeners, um, and the Christian right. Now, if you have sympathy for another identifiable group, you are automatically eliminated from the list of nominees that will be approved by Republicans. To this thing in, in California with Karl Rove and, and David Plouffe, this, this debate about bipartisanship, if you're Karl Rove, as practiced as he might be at this, does there not come a point in which you really have to stifle breaking up in laughter as you pitch this idea that apparently first President Clinton and then congressional Democrats manufactured partisan rancor um, when it's the congressional Republicans who at the very same moment are up in arms over a judicial nominee who doesn't exist yet? Well, it, that exchange was so fierce. I, I, I mean, I found it very surprising. I think Karl Rove must be really rattled by President Obama because Republicans have not mounted an opposition. In fact, I think that the, 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 the Republican that's going to break out of the pact is going to be one that finds a way to work with Obama on some issue because the party of no isn't getting any traction. And, you know, I was thinking at the end of the, the 100 days, what if the Republicans had to do uh, a speech at the end of their 100 days and explain what they've been doing? It would have been very sad for them because they haven't done anything. They don't know what to do except not do what Obama's doing. And who would their spokesman be? Would it be Rush Limbaugh? Would it be Sarah Palin, Palin who's busy settling scores with Levi Johnson's family? Would it be Newt Gingrich, the, the ghost of majorities past? Um, <laughs> any of the Republicans on the Hill, Mitch McConnell, John Boehner, none of them has emerged as somebody that can pull together a group of Republicans working towards something that looks appealing. They met at a pizza parlor over the weekend and they had the event, but they really still didn't have an agenda, except that there was free pizza well, with, maybe, with pepperoni. Maybe that's it. Also, yeah. they, also they had a, uh, they had a tea party, and uh, the Mad Hatter was there, and and Jim Bunning hit Mitch McConnell with a pitch. majority in the Senate. It's easy to forget that there used to be something called the Republican Party. In fact, they were in power not, oh, three months ago. <laughs> but it's true. Uh, these Republicans had golden hair and skin white as snow. And at night, when all was still, you could hear their plaintive cries. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
We've managed to track down a few scattered remnants of the once great political machine in a segment we're calling. After one lost election, the journey begins. Republicans are ramping up their efforts to try to revive their image and refocus the agenda of the party. Today, some of the leaders of the party are launching these pretty grand plans. Ooh, grand plans. What do you got, T-shirt cannons? Parachute drop onto an aircraft carrier? Brooks and done. We thank you very much for opening up the pie tanzer for breakfast. Holy a pitanza for breakfast? You're back, baby. In case you don't live in Virginia, you should know. Pitanza is a local pizza chain. And that's where party stalwarts Cantor, Romney, and Jeb Bush made their stand. It may seem odd, but it does follow suit with the new grassroots strategy announced last week by GOP Chairman Michael Steele from the ball pit of a Chuck E. Cheese. Certainly, our party has taken its licks over the last couple cycles. Uh, no one is under any illusion about that. Uh, but that's why we're here. At Pytanza. <laughs> but all this stuff seems, uh, you know, a little humble, a little vanilla. Show me some fire, Romney! We are the party of the revolutionaries. They're the party of the monarchists. Yes! That's what I'm talking about. Get some fervor. Democrats are monarchists. Isn't monarchy where power is passed down from father to son? Right? Son of former governor, presidential candidate, sitting next to the third Earl of Bushington. Uh, they're, they're admitting faults, they're recognizing mistakes, they're eating local ethnic food in casual attire. It's like they're just like us. And they need some new ideas because the old ones were rejected in the last election. And I'm not going to have government take over health care. <laughs> but that sounds vaguely familiar. Well, I want to make sure that we're not handing the health care system over to the federal government. Hmm. Nice rebranding. What else you got? The right thing is to lower taxes. What we're going to do is lower your income taxes. The belief in free markets. The power of free markets. There's some folks who think that the government really does know best. Government, you know, you're not always the solution. Take these new ideas and present them to the American people. Americans are craving something new and different. So that's why you're at a pizza place. You're still selling us cheese, sauce, and bread. You just folded it over, and now you're calling it a panzone. <laughs> Any new ideas? If the government is going to subsidize higher education, which it does at the state and, local and federal level, then there should be a strategic nature to it. I think tuition should be different for the degrees that we want. We, we need nurses. We need scientists. We need engineers. But the, your newest, freshest idea is to subsidize certain educational majors for the benefit of the state? <laughs> I, think I, I think I found the Republican Party. They're in Sweden.
Uh, we are talking about the fate of the Republican Party, which is it's so nice after so many years of talking about the fate of the Democratic Party. How are we ever going to fix it? How are we going to climb out of it? And now we see them wallowing in their own mud. Uh, but, you know, it, the, it does start with the rank and file, as we said before. And in order for the Republicans to reach out to that part of America and try and expand their tent, I'm so tired of that uh, b- b- metaphor. But in order to do that, uh, they're going to have to be reaching people People like this woman, Cenk. Uh, uh, clip 14, uh, JR. This is uh, someone talking about the grand old party. Right now, I have to tell you, I, I am completely disillusioned with the Re- Republican Party. I can't even look at any of them and feel anything but disgust because it just seems to me that when Obama tries to do something, any put up any kind of policy, the first their first reaction is it's just like no. That's it. They won't even hear it. They won't, they won't even try it. And then if they ask them, okay, do you have an alternative? Because that's what he's done. He asked them, do you have an alternative to what I propose? they like, humana, humana, hum. They got nothing. <laughs> Who doesn't love her? They got nothing. And by the way, there's no way that that Chiron was right. <laughs> this is Kate O'Leary. There's no way she's Kate O'Leary. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about that too. I was like, yeah. I can uh, see a little Irish in her. But yeah, that's true. Uh, but, you know, I mean, what uh, what she's saying is is what so many people are saying about the party right now and about the, the Republican Party. And it's true. I mean, what are they showing people that makes them want to be there? They are the party of no, and that's their strategy. You remember when they were trying to put that stimulus package through? Their strategy was to to get unanimity on the no, and only three senators, one of whom now has defected from the party, uh, supported it. So it, it, they got so many hundreds of people to to uh, go against it, and that's what this woman's talking about. And if she's talking about it, you can be sure that it's not just the three of us talking about it. It, it almost sounded like she listens to the Young Turks. <laughs> right, it did. And, and, but I like her new uh, Republican slogan. They got nothing, man. They got nothing. No, they don't. And and for them to, I mean, this is what they're up against too. And and I guess I don't ever remember Democrats being up against that. You know, they were up against a stone wall of Republicans for a long time, but they weren't up against people saying these types of things. You know, and I think so. And I see. Look, I, I I thought. Look, I'm reading too much into it, but I thought John King recoiled a little bit when she said, I'm disgusted by the Republican Party. Yeah. Uh, but they shouldn't recoil from that. That is what people actually think across the country. And so, I mean, what the media tries to do oftentimes is to, in the, for, the, for a good purpose, or, or I shouldn't say good, for a sensible, understandable purpose, is to uh, create some civility, right? Yeah. So they, on CNN, they'll never talk. Their pundits won't talk about how the country is disgusted with the Republican Party. But when you get to real Americans, that's what they think. Yeah. And, and you know what's, uh, what's interesting in that respect is that you, you think about how active a president Barack Obama has been in the few short months that he's been president, but he's taken on so much. I mean, that's fact. It's not, I mean, some people say too much. Some people say that's what was needed. That's not what I'm talking about. The point is he's taken on so much. And the Republicans have not been a part of any of it. You know, there's been no working side by side. So people like Kate O'Leary are saying this stuff, and, and they're saying that they're disgusted with it because they just keep saying no, 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 no. And that's no way to incorporate the rest of America. I mean, there are plenty of opportunities to say no to Barack Obama if you're a Republican. But with all that he's set out to do, there are also opportunities to say, you know what, yes, we're going to work with you on that. We're going to work with you on that. And that hasn't happened at all.
Thanks for listening, everybody. So I've got just a few notes for you. First of all, as I'm sure you've noticed, uh, some advertisements have started running in the show. Uh, I sincerely hope they're not too irritating. I have done my best to have them be, uh, you know, reasonable and, and integrated well into the show, not interrupt things too much. And you know, it's been it's been a positive thing for me. It's bringing in just a you know a little bit of pocket change, uh, which is nice and totally necessary, especially in these economic times. Have a little bit of extra uh, money coming in. And if you're feeling up to it, you can actually help with that process. Uh, I've asked before, and I will ask again now. There is a listener survey on the website, and what that does is helps me attract new advertisers. So the more potential advertisers know about my audience, the more willing they're going to be to pay for ads on the show. So if you're interested in helping the show and, you know, all you have to give is, you know, 10 minutes of your time, fill out the listener survey. It's totally easy. And, and besides that, it gives me some feedback, uh, you know, what you think of the show as well. And I've definitely taken some suggestions to heart and, you know, made adjustments accordingly. So that is your uh, big chance to let me know how you think the show's going and, uh, and kind of lend your voice to, uh, to those potential advertisers who can help fund the show and help keep it going strong. Secondly, does anybody know that I post the music for the, these shows on the website complete with links to iTunes where you can go download all the music that gets played? You know, I, I, do, I do the work to make it really easy for you guys and then totally neglect to even tell you that it's there. So basically, if you ever hear any music you like, all you have to do, go to bestofleft.com and, uh, and check out the show notes, and they will be right there for you, complete with a link. And, uh, and the, the really fancy thing, yet another way you can help out the show, is by using that link to purchase the music, I get a tiny little cut of that purchase. So, you know, when everyone does it, that'll add up to, you know, lunch money one day. Now, again, I just want to mention... For those of you who only want to listen to the MP3 version of the show, that's the version without the chapter markers and uh, and the special features like that. You just want the straight MP3 version. There is an MP3 feed out there just for you. Go to bestofleft.com up in the right hand, uh, you know, top right hand corner. There's a link that says MP3 feed or something very much to that effect. Click that. You'll be good to go you will not receive the enhanced version anymore and i know that's been the number one request i've had over the years and it's completely my fault that it's taken me this long to fix the problem but the problem is fixed so go and enjoy that now just want to mention again a couple of the new fun features we've added uh, we have a facebook page where you can become a fan of the show and help spread the word through your facebook network that way we would love it if you did that as well as uh, we've started a Twitter feed. And, you know, of course, the more followers I have on Twitter, the more pressure I'm going to feel to actually attempt to say something clever every once in a while. So uh, check that out. If you, uh, if you do Twitter at all, go ahead and uh, subscribe to the feed, and, uh, and we will, you know, let you know what types of shows are coming up, when a show is posted so you get notified, Maybe I'll say something clever every once in a while. Um, 
if history is a, a good indicator of the future, I wouldn't bet on that necessarily, but you never know. And finally, to finish up, uh, you know, we've just been talking a lot of shop today, no uh, words of wisdom or anything, but that's not a shock to you, I'm sure. I just want to throw out there a little reminder about the 555 system. That is how you help keep the show going. Um, many of you have heard me say this before, but if things have been going well, then we should have a lot of new listeners who don't have any idea what I'm talking about. So the 555 idea is basically this. The show has recently been converted to a shareware podcast. And what that means is, although the show is technically free, it's not guilt-free. The only way you can listen to this show for free and guilt-free is by doing one of these three things. If you have five bucks to spare, we would be incredibly appreciative of the donation just to help keep the show going, um, you know, pay for what the show costs and uh, the amount of time that goes into it just to do the work. Secondly, this show is made up of clips, as you all know. Uh, it's the best of the left, made up of many clips of many different shows, and we have made it incredibly easy for you to help contribute clips to the show. Go to bestofleft.com, click the tab at the top. It's very obvious. You will notice it uh, with a big arrow pointing to it. It says submit five clips, and you can send in clips you found yourself, search for new clips. It's a fantastic system. Check it out. Submit five clips of the show to help keep us going. It uh, it makes such, like, I can't even describe to you the difference it makes when clips are flowing in and I just get to put them together in a neat package and send them right back out to you guys. It, it's, uh, it's like a dream come true. And finally, the easiest and really the best thing you can do for the show tell five friends help spread the word grow the audience tell five friends and when you tell them to check out the show go ahead and warn them you this is a good show you should listen to the show but be aware that when you start listening to it you will be required to tell five more friends so just go ahead and give them that warning ahead of time and make them recognize that there will be a price to pay for uh for subscribing to the show and frankly it's a uh, totally worth the cost of admission so there you go five 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 bucks five clips five friends and uh, we will continue going strong for years and years so that's it for today coming to you from inside the beltway and border yet outside the conventional wisdom of washington dc my name is jay this has been the best of the left podcast coming to you from bestoftheleft.com Black and white You took apart a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning on a shining sheet